Hey, welcome to the More Life Less Drama podcast. I'm your host, Prue Sulisic, and I'm here to lead you to a more fulfilling and peaceful life. Each week I will share stories, have great conversations with women just like you, and explore different topics on personal growth. This is not some fancy podcast bringing you extraordinary stories. I'm just here keeping it real, raw, and honest, so you know it's possible for you too. I want you to know yourself so well, nothing stands in your way. So let's get to it. Life is waiting. Hi, Nina. How are you? Very well. How are you? Great. So welcome to this episode of More Life, Less Drama. And today I have an exceptional guest on. And I just want to introduce her before we get into the conversation, because I know what will happen. We'll start talking and then I'll forget to do it. (laughs) So we have Nina Concepcion. And Nina is here and she is a multi-six-figure conscious sales speaker, coach, mentor, best-selling author and CEO at the Institute of Conscious Sales. Nina has spoken to thousands of people globally and has been featured in articles such as Yahoo Finance and spoken at TEDx in the UK, Sydney's Mind Body Spirit Festival, NLP Worldwide, Juice Plus, Isogenics, University of New South Wales and Child Abuse Prevention Services, Sydney, and so many more. The Institute of Conscious Sales supports entrepreneurs and salespeople across 14 different countries with online courses, programs, and trainings. Nina combines the mindset, energy, and skill set of what Nina calls conscious sales. So Nina's following named her The Naked Coach. And it is also the title of her best-selling book, The Naked You. And I recommend everybody jumping on and buying it. It's a great read. It's very interact like you really interact with the book. There's lots of prompts and lots of questions and lots of things that actually have you thinking. And which is why I actually love the book so much. Um, I made so many notes. It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that I'm actually going to start telling everybody, especially all my my clients to go read it because it has has the questions in it that you ask is really, really prompting to actually go really inward. And that's what we're all doing. Like that's why people come to me because they really want to, you know, figure out who they are on the inside. And yeah, so I'm going to recommend everybody this book now. Be like, right, homework, go read it. <laughs> so I welcome, Nina. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you for taking the time to read the book as well. It's obviously an investment of your time. And your commitment to your growth. Yeah, it was great. I sat there with my, it was over the weekend. I was like, right, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to commit to reading it. And it took me most of one day, I think, to read it. And I had my notes, notebook next to me. I just kept writing down notes. And I did the, you know, Tanya would scream at me if she knew this, but I was like actually writing in the book. <laughs> I, I, write in the, I write in books as well. I do too. I used to think it was really bad, but now I'm like, oh, no, I've got to just make some notes now. Yeah. Right. The next person will pick it up and they're like, oh, this person thought it was important, this piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So in the theme of my podcast, I love talking to ordinary women. And I know at the base of everything, we are both just ordinary women showing up in the world doing the things that fill us up and that we're drawn to. And my podcast is really, you know, the name of it, More Life, Less Drama. So how are you living into that? How are you living more into life and less into drama? Mm. I feel I am incredibly aware of where my energy is going. So by energy, I mean my thoughts, my emotions, my time, my resources, 
And I really just do not involve myself in too many conversations where it's drama filled. Yes. I'm someone who, okay, here's a challenge. How are we going to fix it? What are we going to do? What can we do to improve it? And then we move on. Mm -hmm. I'm typically not, I don't have friends where we go around talking about the same drama where it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I do like to live an empowered life. I like to feel good about who I am and feel like I'm living an amazing life. And I feel like when I am consumed and focused on negative things and focused on problems as opposed to solutions, which is what we do as entrepreneurs, um, then I just end up feeling crappy. I end up feeling Mm -hmm. disempowered. I feel lazy. I feel like I don't want to do anything. Um, And so where my attention goes, where my energy is, where my thoughts are, what I'm feeling into, I'm constantly checking in with myself and asking myself, is is this really what I want to be doing with my time right now? Mm -hmm. And I understand that drama will happen like we're human beings. Mm -hmm. However, I do feel it comes to a point where we can decide, are we going to continue on with this drama? Are we going to do something about it? What are we going to do about it? Yeah, Because we we all have challenges. But for me, I like to nip them in the butt and just move on and get through a, a more empowering phase as opposed to just focusing on the drama. Absolutely. Yes. Because we can, people that we surround ourselves with is so important. And I know like some people listening to this podcast might be like, yeah, but they're my family or they're my friends. And it's like, yeah, well, we get to choose all that. I was talking to Colleen Lindbergh last week and she was saying, yeah, you can, if you don't want to disconnect from your mother, say, but she's somebody that brings you lots of drama, you put them in a box and you're like, be the person that you need to be with your mother in that box, but you know, you're not going to stay there. That's not actually who you want to be all the time. And we can do this with everybody and moving away from people that we no longer feel drawn to and keep us in the drama cycle because yeah, we've all had people you know, just think about teenagers when we're, you know, teenage girls, how much drama there was surrounding us, you know, with all that type of I stuff. have a teenage sister, so I know firsthand what you are talking about right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the drama of like teenagers, yet sometimes that goes into adulthood as well. Like it's not always something that we leave behind. And yeah, it's really not important, but yet mm. we focus on it and say so what we focus on, we get. So we just keeps perpetuating the drama. In the introduction of your book, you speak about authenticity. You explain authenticity is constantly evolving, which is, I like totally feel this. So if this is true, uh, I'd love to know how you are living authentically right in this very moment of your Mm -hmm. life. Mm, That's such a good question. I love this question. How am I being authentic to myself right now? For me, It is showing up in a way that feels most good for me. So one of the priorities right now in my business are we're about to launch some ads again, JVs and podcasts. So they're the biggest focuses, um, the biggest focuses, the biggest things I'm focusing on right now when it comes to my business. However, with JVs, one of the biggest things that I'm really feeling into, and we were talking about this on the previous podcast, is really honoring myself, honoring my body, honoring what feels good for me. And there have been a few people who I've connected with um, along a conversation of a joint venture. And there's just something that just doesn't feel 
easy. Um, not that things are always supposed to be easy, mm-hmm. but I feel like I've exercised that muscle enough to really know when something just does not feel good for me or when it's fear. Mm-hmm. And I've I've faced so much of my fear. You know, I've I've done my TED talk, I've published a book, I've confronted the person who sexually abused me twice. I went to a different part of the world. I've gone skydiving, like I've given birth. Like there's so many things. I've, I've left real estate to pursue my business when I wasn't making the money I needed to make before leaving real estate. Like there's mm-hmm. so many things I've done to face my fears that I am I can be very aware as to when it's fear or when it's just something just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel in alignment. Yeah. Um, but I also don't like to use alignment as an excuse. I've got a really, really strong intuition. So mm-hmm. when I feel... Um, just an unsafe feeling uh, when I'm talking to someone or I'm not getting excited in my body and I'm not like, oh, yes, like I feel so, so, so good about this connection and this collaboration. When I notice that things just aren't matching up and when I notice there's a lack of integrity or when I notice I'm like, it's really interesting that they said this and now they're saying this and someone else also told me this. And and even though I don't like to take what other people say about other people necessarily, but Mm -hmm. I think when you start to hear the same thing from multiple people, it's really hard to ignore. And for me, it's just about being discerning. Yes. So I, I'm not looking at collaborating necessarily right now. And I'm doing a joint venture with anyone who I'm not feeling like, yes, this feels really good. This feels really exciting. And there have been a couple of people recently who, who I've just been like, you know what, let's just leave it. Like, yeah, let's just leave it. And so that's a piece that um, I've needed to sit with. Because Mm -hmm. externally, if you look at it, there's a lot of benefits. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to what feels good for me and what's in alignment for me, that's not. And that's powerful because how often do we go into things when we're like, got the feeling like, "Mm, maybe not, and we just ignore it. And then what happens? Like, you know, give an example of what's happened in the past for you that Mm you haven't listened to your intuition and Mm -hmm. the feeling and how it's turned out. Like, is there something that you can share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, like the biggest, uh, there's a, a few of them, <laughs> but I feel like yeah. the very, the very first one for me was, um, again, I, I share about this in my book. When I got to about 10, 11, 12, I started to have these recurring nightmares and I was like, oh, this is, this is really strange. I keep having the same nightmare. And then the nightmares started to get more vivid. And then I realized that it was a memory of being sexually abused that I had suppressed. Mm -hmm. And so as I came into being a teenager, I started to physically harm myself. I was falling into depression. And it was really the first time in my life that I experienced completely dishonoring myself. I experienced um, feeling like I wanted to share, but not feeling like... Um, I was angry at my parents all the time. Like I remember like screaming at them saying, you don't understand. You don't know what I've gone through. You can't say that about me. And, and I remember just being so angry. Mm-hmm. And it was really from a lack of sharing what was going on with me and and honoring who I am and what I'm going through because I was so focused on protecting my younger cousin who had also been sexually abused. She made me promise that I wasn't going to tell anyone. Yeah. But I realized that by me promising her not to tell anyone, I was dishonoring myself. Yeah. And because I went through that experience, I, I feel like it's it, that feeling is so obvious for me now. The feeling of mm-hmm. dishonoring myself feels so obvious for me to the point where 
even when I think back to when I was sexually abused, even in the moment, I remember thinking there is something about this. This isn't right. And I was like four or five. I was so young. Um, But I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to be alone with this person ever again. And so I stopped it from happening. I just, I literally just did not allow myself to be alone with this person. I remember we were at a family gathering and um, I was sitting with my mom, I was sitting on her lap and she's like, why don't you go play? I'm like, no, I don't want to. She's like, you're going to be bored here with with the adults. And I'm like, no, like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, yep. She's like, are you sure I don't want to play? I'm like, yep. Because I knew what the alternative was. Yeah. And so for me, again, like being able to feel that distinction of going against myself and knowing what feels really not good for me and potentially someone getting upset with me or feeling like an outsider. I would rather have that. I would rather people judge me rather than me put myself in that sort of position again. And it's it's honestly one of the reasons why I never did drugs growing up. I didn't even get drunk until like a week before my 18th birthday. I'm very, I've never, I've always been really good at not giving into peer pressure because of that experience that I had when I was younger. I was like, never again, never again will I subject myself to doing something just because someone else wants me to do it. Never. But I also won't put myself in that position. Yeah. Like, you know, talk about silver linings. (laughs) (laughs) That is like a massive silver lining for a really traumatic experience as a young child and So people listening to this, they might be thinking to themselves like they've had something similar or they've felt that way, yet they've kept doing it to themselves, like kept dishonouring themselves. And you can just decide, right, like you can decide that I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm going to really honour myself. And, yeah, that's incredible. I, yeah, I've got all the thoughts going random around in my brain around this. Because to share with my audience, like what did you call when you figured, finally figured it out, like that was yeah. what was happening because you were like 12 or 13, 12 maybe when yeah. you figured it out, what yeah. did you actually call that piece of your life? Like in the awareness of being that age? No, what you were called, you called it something. I've got it written down. Somewhere. Oh, um, yeah, it's in my book. I only, yes. the only reason why I called it that in my book, I think it was like a something experience. What did I, I don't even know. What what was the tran- it was like a transformational, oh my God, I've written it somewhere. Let me have a quick look, see if I can find it without in all my notes. Anyway, we might come back to it because I've got it written somewhere. It'll come across. Yeah. It, yeah. The the main reason why I refer to as that, I I I call it like a a something experience in my book. Um, It's because I wanted to stop using the terminology around I was sexually abused because I feel like there's such a connotation of being a victim. Yes. When, you know, the person who sexually abused me, he was also, he also experienced sexual abuse. Yeah. And so it's just a cycle that's perpetuated itself. And, and I don't see myself as the victim in the yeah. situation. Like, mm-hmm. yes, for a long time I did. However, it was a, you know, a, a not a very good experience. However, I also really believe in co-creation. I really believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that our soul chose every experience that we are here to experience. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I wouldn't have the the strength, the tenacity, the willingness to 
not give in to peer pressure, to honour my path and want to do my part in eradicating child abuse and sex slavery, I wouldn't have that if I didn't have that experience. So as much as it was a shitty experience, I am who I am. Not that it defines me, but I am stronger now because of what I've experienced. Yeah, amazing. And yeah, this could be really helpful to a lot of people listening to this because there is a lot of shame around that. And like you said, it doesn't define you and and it need not define anybody. It was just an experience that somebody had and yeah, you get to choose then what you do with that. And for you, you've gone on because I remember seeing you for that first time and you broke down in tears saying, you know, you do this because you want to stop child sex slavery. And yeah, that just hit my heartstrings so much because I think, you know, any person in the world, if they think about that cause, it's like, yeah, that's such a hard hitting cause and something that is definitely worth pursuing. So yeah, from you having that experience has allowed you to do that. And you doing this work in the world is making better like better humans as well. Like, you know, really the reason why people do things, like we we can never assume why people do things, but we're showing up in the world now, like you, you and I both as coaches, mentoring people to be the best ver- version of themselves, regardless what has happened in their past. Mm-hmm. And that's the power in what we do. I think a key distinction is I don't use what happened to me as an excuse. Yes. And this is something I did for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse why I can't do what I want to do and excuse why people wouldn't love me and excuse for whatever, right? Yeah. If yeah. anything, I use it as fuel. Yeah. Because of what I've gone through, it's necessary for me to do what I'm here to do. I think that's it in the most simplest terms. Are you using it as an excuse or mm. are you using it as fuel? Yes, perfect. And I, yeah, I feel you like I haven't been through an experience like that, but I definitely have had the belief drilled into me over my childhood that men are better than women. Mm. So I'm on a mission to like overturn that, to know that every woman has, you know, this ability within themselves to show up with authenticity and do what they want to do for themselves, not for anybody else, and not just to fall into the roles of what a woman that I thought was designed to do. Mm. You know, I've I've often shared that I didn't even realise I had a choice in life. I thought I was spent meant to get married and have children and be the the wife and the you know the mother. That's pretty much what I thought. And it sounds really illogical because out there in the world, there's all these women doing amazing things. Yet, yeah, because that's what I was modelled and you know, was told as a child, basically, not told, but modelled. Yeah, it's been one of those pieces that I, that is my fuel now. That is my fuel. It's like, ah, that's right. I want every woman to know that they have a choice in how their life goes. Not just some women or privileged women or anything like that. Every woman. Yeah. And any woman that's been sexually abused or suppressed or whatever, I want them to know that they have a choice and they can take the fast action that you're talking about and make changes in their life. That's the empowerment piece for me. We always have a choice. You know, a really beautiful book is uh, Man's Search for Meaning by okay. Viktor Frankl. Yeah. And he writes um, about being in the concentration camps during the Holocaust mm-hmm. and that the one thing that someone cannot take away from you is how you think, how you feel. They literally took away everything from from these people but to find meaning and to find hope and to find love in the most dire 
of experiences that anyone has ever lived through really shows that we don't have any excuse. We really, really don't. And even though, you know, I know that there are plenty of people that have experienced a lot more trauma than I have, like I really get that, but I've also met some of the most empowering and empowered women who have gone through like really, 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 really horrible, like horrific experiences who again, have used it as fuel. Mm -hmm. So I just don't think we have any excuse. No, we don't. (laughs) Most people, like we've all, like trauma is trauma. It doesn't matter what it is. There's no trauma that's bigger or better than anybody else's. Whatever was created a belief in you and we can always create new beliefs. Like this is, I'm always shouting this from the rooftops about how we get to choose our thoughts and our thoughts create our feelings. And from the feelings, it drives the action or the inaction. And so if we've got the choice to think how we want to think, let's just start doing that. Let, let's choose some amazing thoughts mm-hmm. to think on purpose. That's all, that's my mission for women to choose thoughts to think on purpose. It's a very conscious thing, but it becomes unconscious the more that you train the muscle to do it. I was wondering, like, what is a thought that you think over and over again that you lean on in times when you've maybe got some self-doubt or you're Mm. feeling the fear or you're feeling like the lack of courage to do what you need to do. What is that thought for you? There are so many ways I can answer this question, (laughs) Prue. Yeah, there's so many thoughts too. Like, you know, I have heaps and heaps of thoughts myself. Like what did you say before done is better than, no. Done is better than perfect. Yeah, done is better than perfect. Like that I can imagine is a thought that you think in times when you're like you're feeling like you're being like perfectionist. (laughs) Let's take a specific example because I feel like what I would say to myself in a different situation, like whether it's getting on the TEDx stage or, um, you know, about to confront the person who sexually abused me, like there's, it's slightly different. Different, So what what example would you like to use? Yeah. Okay. Let's use the TEDx stage because that I'm sure most of my listeners, like people that have known me, look up to me and like, who's doing some great things. She's using a voice and they're still in the thought train of, oh, I could never do that. So yeah, share that one. <laughs> it's really interesting, right? So here's an interesting statistic. I was blown away when I found this out. So um, out of 144 applications, 14 of us made that cut for this TED Talk. There were supposed to be 12 people that were presenting on the day, but there were 14. Mm-hmm. I remember I said to the organizer, I thought you said there were 12 presenters. And she said, yep. Every year we give the spot to 14 people, but normally always two people don't show up on the day. And that astounded me that someone could go through that far along the process and still just not deliver the talk. And I said to her, what, like, what do you think it is? Why do people just not show up? And she said, they just freak out. They, they just, yeah, they, they let usually... it, they let their little thoughts have grow legs. That's what I call it. And like, running <laughs> yeah, or they like ingrain in their brain. Like they're like mm-hmm. dig yes. in, in, and create like plants in people's brains. Yeah. And so for me, like when I was in the lead up to it, because there's a few different trains of, of thought, right? Mm-hmm. When I was putting myself out there, it's the knowing that. I love the saying that success is when preparation meets opportunity. I love that too. Mm. And until we've done a certain level of preparation, there's almost a part of us that doesn't feel like we can claim the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And at this point of my life, I was so clear that I was ready to do the work. I was so clear that I was ready to put in what I needed to put in to deliver 
an amazing talk for who I am right now, even though, again, I can already see what I could do to improve it. And so um, it's constantly just, okay, how can I make that a little bit better? How can I refine that a little bit more? And I'm really focusing on how can I just improve that little bit every single time as opposed to making it perfect. And it was the same with writing my book. It was like, I know it's not going to be perfect, but done is better than perfect. I just need to do it. I just need to do it. And then when I was standing on the, on the side of the stage, literally, like, I just remember feeling all of the nerves throughout my body. And I, I get nervous a lot of the time that I speak on stage, but I love that feeling. Like I, I used to be a performer, mm-hmm. I used to be a dancer. So that feeling is also what reminds me I'm alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely the TEDx stage, it's one of the biggest stages. It, it's almost like the pinnacle for a lot of speakers. I mm-hmm. want to be able to speak on the TEDx stage. I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I remember being on the side of the stage and literally just breathing. Like I just had my eyes closed and I was on the side. And I was like... Oh, I breathe. Oh, I breathe. And literally what I just kept repeating to myself was, you've got this, 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 you've got this. And that's all I was thinking. And there's a really amazing, I think it's Sir Richard. It's the, it's the movie with, uh, it's about Serena and Venus Williams and Will Smith is their dad. Oh, yes. And I'm pretty sure it's from this movie. It might be another movie with um, Adam Sandler. But the day before the competition, they're resting. There's mm. not really anything left to do. I'm not thinking about my yeah. speech while I'm standing on the side of the stage. Yeah. All I'm doing is just focusing on being in my body and trusting and knowing that I've done the work that I've needed to do. And it's funny, Prue, because obviously the biggest fear is you're going to fuck it up, right? The biggest fear <laughs> is, oh, my gosh, what if I forget everything? Like that's yeah, the biggest yeah. fear. Uh-huh. And we actually had a... Um, because it was in the UK. And um, I remember I flew in and two days before we had an on-stage rehearsal. And that's exactly what happened. I just yeah. went completely blank. And I was like, like, I didn't make it obvious. I wasn't yeah. like, shit. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like I literally yeah. just, and then I just kept going. And I mm-hmm. swear to God, I repeated myself a couple of times. And then I realized where I was up to in the presentation. And mm-hmm. then I just kept going. And I was like, okay, I did it. Yeah. And um, you know, my worst fear happened. Yeah. 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 And the presenters gave their feedback. And I'm like, did you notice that I forgot it? And they're like, no, I didn't. And I'm like, because I forgot it. And then I just figured it out. And like, no, no, no. Like, we didn't even notice. And mm. I remember thinking, oh, that's the worst thing that could happen. And I would just figure it out. And honestly, it's the best thing that could have happened. Because it made me realize that even if I do forget, I will just figure it out. And you were talking about confidence before. And I think it's putting yourself in situations where you realize what you're capable of Mm -hmm. if you're in it. And until you're in it, you don't really know you're capable of it. And so the more you put yourself in those situations and you notice how strong you are and how capable you are, you realize that you're actually so much more stronger, so much more capable than you realize. And I've, I've got this tattoo yeah. on my bicep and it's strength in Braille. Oh, and it's cool. to remind me I'm stronger than I think I am because oh, our so mind good. will yeah. normally always be the first thing to give up. Okay. That's that's the thought. I'm stronger than I think I am, you know, and I've got this, which just create, like, for me, that's the feeling of, like, keeping yourself in your body, like, 
going with your nervous system, understanding that, and so important. Like as a nervous person, this is great news. I love it. <laughs> I, you know, I've over the last five years have really put myself in situations where this comes to the test. My nervous system, once upon a time, used to take over, like mm. all the time. It used to take over, and I would not be able to actually speak because my body was in such a fight and flight response. And so I have practiced and used like the muscle of my mind to control my nervous system and it it works. And the thought that I go to all the time is it's just 90 seconds because an emotion lasts for 90 seconds. And if you're having, if it's longer than 90 seconds, it's because you're having a different thought that creates a different emotion or it's on repeat. And so it's like, that sense of control, like, oh, yeah, of course, this this emotion is valid. Like I know that it's going to be there. Like I'm feeling nervous that I'm going to go up on stage and speak right now. Yet it's going to last for 90 seconds. And that just allows me to like take a breath, feel it into my body and not let that thought grow legs and run around and then just keep me in that real fight and flight flight for me, not fight for sure. Like definitely flights, like where, where's the door? Where's the door? <laughs> and yeah, so you, it, it's possible because if I can do it, anybody can do it because I was an, I didn't speak to I was five and a half. I, my sister spoke for me. I did not speak really at all, never offered my opinion about anything. And now I've got my own podcast and I'm talking to, you know, people that you know, like yourself, that I can be the complete opposite of me in my brain, the opposite of me. Yeah, I know I can do that too. It's like, of course, you know, if I want to do that, I can. Absolutely. I've, it's in me. It's in me. Mm. Mm. There are also a lot of studies that have proven that the chemicals that get released in our body uh, when we are nervous and when we are excited are exactly the same. Yeah. The only difference is how much we breathe Mm -hmm. and in my opinion, what we think about Yes, and also how fast we take action because the longer you take to do something about it, the bigger the fear gets. Yes, That's why whenever I'm feeling nervous, I'm just like, let's rip the bandaid off already. Like just rip it off. I remember when I went skydiving, I was like, I'm going to be the first on the plane so I can just get out as soon as possible. I don't want to watch everybody else get out of the plane, but I didn't realize that it's a single file. And the last person to hop on the plane is actually the first person to jump. So I had to literally watch every single person (laughs) jump out of the plane. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I just want to do it already. Mm -hmm. Like the longer you leave it, the harder it actually gets, the bigger the fee gets. Mm -hmm. But if you just get it over and done with and just do it, you're like, I did it. I feel good. That wasn't that scary. No, yeah, then that's a great, not every day, like, but it's something that people can do, like jumping out of planes, like you can go skydiving. But even, you know, the fear of like driving in the city, if you're from the country, like stops a lot of people from going to the city. Yet I'm always the one to say, and this is directed to my mum, mum, they're just people behind the car. Like they, they're going to stop. If you get in their way, they're going to stop. You know, it's not going to be like a disaster. It's just people. And so just that's just an example of like everyday type of thinking that we can like manipulate in our brains to get a feeling of like, oh, of course I've got this. I can do this. Like otherwise, what's the alternative? Like to constantly live in the fear and the shame and the guilt and all that type of stuff. It's like, no, let's let's choose empowering thoughts. Mm-hmm. 
So in the, and this actually, this is, this is good flow into this one as well. Like in the chapter about imperfection, you mm-hmm. say someone else's value doesn't make anyone else less valuable. Mm-hmm. And people could be sitting here listening to you going, well, you know, she's a TEDx speaker and, you know, she's so valid. She's got great value in the world. Can you talk into this, like from this perspective of being a woman, because I'd love to talk about that because that's really what my like my whole story has been. Mm-hmm. So the perspective of being a woman who is primarily doing household and childcare while their partners are supporting them financially, like you're the opposite of that. You're the one supporting your family financially. Yeah, so someone else's value doesn't make anyone else less mm-hmm. valuable. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, the way that I see that, right, is if you think about personal development as an example, just because you buy one book on personal development, does that mean you're not going to want to read any other books? Just because you listen to one podcast, does it mean you're not going to want to listen to another podcast? And then even if we take it to the extreme, there's a movie we like. Are you just not going to watch that movie ever again because you've already seen it once? No. Like when we love something and we want to learn about something, we don't typically just want to learn from the one person, from the one voice, from the one modality. We typically want to learn it there and there and there and there and from that person, that person, that person. And there are topics that I personally invest my time in learning, but there are definitely some people who I love learning from and some people who I'm like, I just don't enjoy learning from those people. Yeah. And we spoke about this before. Statistically, only one in three people will like you, one in three people won't like you, and one in three people will not know if they like you or not. So even if we think about three people doing exactly the same thing, talking exactly the same way, sharing the exact same content, just by being the person that they are statistically, they will reach a different audience. And so a lot of people, and I see this all the time with my clients as well, it's really easy to overlook why people will want to listen to you, why people will want to work with you, the value that you provide. But there is an element of what you can bring that only you can bring, Mm. right? Even if you think about two of your best friends, I'm sure you can pick out what makes each of them different. You can pick out what makes that person unique and what makes your other best friend unique one best friend isn't necessarily more valuable than the other. You might be closer to another one, but they're not more valuable than the other. Mm. And it's the same with our value. Just because you're, even if you are sharing the same message, the way in which you communicate it, the person that you are, the experience that you've had to live through is going to be different compared to the other person. So there's always going to be something unique that you can bring to the table. So yeah, one person, just because you perceive as someone that's more like that's got value, doesn't mean that your value is any less. So where does value, where does the feeling of value come from? Within us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's like the message. And we, we are all valuable. Like we're born and it goes back to the worthiness. If we are, yeah, we're all worthy. We're born worthy. Like there's nothing that we can do or can't do that creates us less worthy. So the value is the same. Like we decide our value as well. And so if we're not showing up in the world as our authentic self, we're actually devaluing ourselves. And that's Absolutely. what we do. Yeah, we want people to like really lean into themselves, to know who they are so well, nothing gets in their way, and to know that they're valuable. 
Okay. So I was wondering if you could share some thoughts or actions women can take to fully step into the versions of themselves. Cause you, you saying, this is your quote, fully step into the version of ourselves bursting to be born in mm. the book. And so what are some actions that you can help women take? To step more into being themselves. Yes. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, I'm incredibly intuitive. Um, and you know, as, as a projector in human design, as a mentor, as a coach, I really feel that part of my role is to guide people. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to like tell people what to do. It's, you know, here is what I've noticed. Here is the patterns I've been able to see. Here is what I've learned from my mentors and my own experience. And, and this is what I know works. It's up to you what you want to do. And so the, one of the biggest things that um, my mentor has said to me is one of the reasons why we hire a mentor and hire a coach is because we just want to be reminded to trust ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And for me, like that's what I would put to the audience. If you were to ask yourself, because you guys know the answer better than anyone, what is the single biggest thing that you can do in the next 24 hours for you to honor yourself? because you guys know the answer. You, you're the one that's hiding from it. You're the one that knows what you could be doing that you haven't done yet. And so looking at me for the answer isn't necessarily going to reflect that back at you, but you going inwards and introspective allows you to have that awareness to lead yourself first and foremost. And so that could look like having a conversation with your partner. That could look like applying for a dream job. That could look like starting your own business that could look like having a conversation with someone you love about something that upset you whatever it is you know what that is mm -hmm. and it could be the small thing or it could be the big thing like I've never told anyone I've been sexually abused and I think I want to tell my best friend it could be a big thing or it could be a small thing like I was upset about what my partner said to me this morning like it doesn't matter the size it's the act of doing it that matters. It's the muscle of exercising you, honoring yourself that matters. Yes. Because I remember when I did confront the person who sexually abused me, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, not that long ago, I would have never believed someone if they told me this is what I'd be doing. Like I just, yeah. I, I couldn't comprehend that that would have been possible for me. Um, but I didn't focus on doing the big things overnight. I focused on what do I need to do today to honor myself? What feels not good for me? What do I need to do to be happier about myself and about my life and about who I am? And then those decisions got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now some of the smaller decisions feel a lot easier because I've had to make those big decisions. But there's also big decisions that we also need to make in our life as well. But I get that it takes courage to make those decisions. So yeah. I don't want you guys to think that I'm telling you to like go and share with the world that you've been sexually abused if you've never been, if you've never shared that before. Like it doesn't have to be a big thing to begin with. And, and again, there's like steps in the book. Like I share about how to go from honoring yourself and being honest with yourself to sharing it with the people that you love and then going out or spreading that more um, with people who are outside of that inner circle if you decide to, but you don't have to. It's still a choice. And so I would just say again, what is the one thing you can do to honor yourself in the next 24 hours? Oh. It doesn't matter how big or how small. So, so simple. It's like, and that, and it's people that are just, <clears throat> excuse me, starting at the very beginning and leaning into this, like that's the perfect way to start. It's, you know, you don't actually have to involve anybody else sometimes either. Like if, if it's just you doing something that you want to do or, mm -hmm. You know, and like you said, if it's a conversation that you want with your partner or whatever, someone that's 
you know, if you're upset by something, that can be a small start, huge, but small. And you've got to start somewhere. Like the the first step is always usually the hardest and it does get easier and easier as, as you go along for sure. Oh, yeah, so good. I know we're running out of time, but <laughs> there were so many things in your book that, you know, was emotionally triggering for me. And it's funny because at the beginning of your book, you say, this might trigger you. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, no, it's, it's not going to. And then lo and behold, some some part through the book, I'm like, oh my God. And I actually had um, lots of realizations about it and a big part of it. And because I want to just talk into this a little bit, because I feel it's out there in the world that people are saying about journaling. Okay. Mm. So you know, this this whole conversation around, oh, do all the journaling. It's lovely to do this and do that. It's not for everybody. And um, you were talking about how your the turning point or the turning point experience that you. That's what it was. That's what the word is. I just found it. Turning yes. point experience and how writing was your best friend back then. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I so get that because I, I do love to write and I do journal um, as an adult now. Yet I know that many of my clients don't want to do that. And I was a bit like, I've been sitting there thinking, I wonder what it is about that. And then I started reading your book a little bit more. And I had this realization that journaling actually didn't feel very safe to me. And because of past experiences, I've, my, my trust and my privacy was, um, yeah, uh, dishonored when I was a kid and also just as a young adult. And the, the consequences of me journaling my thoughts and my day actually had huge impact on my life, um, like on the outside of my life. Like I got in trouble. At one stage I got kicked out of home, like from my dad. And I was like, wow. So I didn't actually ever make that connection. So I was like, ah, oh, like I feel really drawn to it, but it still doesn't feel safe. And I've heard a lot of people say this, like, I want to, like I, when I encourage people to write, because I think writing is a great way to get things out. Yet if you're worried that, say, you're writing and then you're worried that your husband will pick it up and read it, the fear that that sets mm. in you. And so, you know, I just I just wanted to share that because I just thought it would be helpful because, like, in your book, you're, it was definitely a great connector for you and a release and Yes, it might be, and it might be out in the world that everyone's saying for everyone to do, go journal it, but it actually, just like me, it might not feel safe to journal. And so, yeah, tell me what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, you know, it's one of the reasons in the book I say take what resonates and leave the rest. Like, yes. you know, we are all sovereign beings. Like you said, we yeah. all have a choice. I'm not, I don't have a gun towards someone's head. Like, do it or don't do it. Like, whatever. Like, I'm not, <laughs> however you want to do it or not yeah, do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and for me, like journaling is really just a way to bring your awareness to how you're feeling and how you're thinking and a way to express it. Yeah. So, um, and I, and I talk about in the book, there's different ways of meditating for me, like even walking in nature feels meditative. Um, you know, moving my body and doing yoga and Pilates feels meditative. It doesn't necessarily have to be me sitting there meditating. Um, similar to journaling, I have some clients and I say to them, why don't you just talk? like talk out loud to yourself. And I do that sometimes as well. So again, that's another form of just reflecting your thoughts back to you. Um, It's one of the reasons as well why I loved poetry Mm. because it was vague enough that if someone read it, 
it doesn't give them all of the details of my privacy, but it's vulnerable enough that I've been able to put all of my emotions into a poem. So for me, I would have like little clues in my poetry and, you know, there's, there's poems in my book. They're so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's little like clues for me. Like I know exactly what that sentence meant. I know exactly what I mean there, but only I know what that means. Yeah. And so I think it's just, again, honoring yourself. What feels good for you? And that feels different for everybody. It could be speaking out loud. It could be speaking to a friend. It could be writing in a journal. It could be writing it, then burning it. Like yeah. it could be writing on a Word document and then deleting everything in the word document, not even just deleting the document because it's in mm-hmm. the trash can, literally mm-hmm. just highlight everything and go delete. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't matter how you do it. It's, yeah. but for me, it's going inwards and really asking myself, how am I feeling? What am I thinking about this? What's going on with me that has allowed me to be able to get clarity with what it is that I need to do to move forward and how I can feel more empowered? Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Lovely. And I think I just wanted to bring that up because it just feels like something that's out in the world. And yeah, it's all about what feels comfortable, comfortable for you. Just like this first step of, you know, honoring yourself. What does that look like for you in the next 24 hours? Again, it's all about you. It's not about anybody else. And so leaning in, feeling what yeah feels right for you, like listening to your intuition and going forward with that. Beautiful. Okay, before we wrap up, I've just got a quick few questions that, you know, just a few quick fire ones that we can uh, talk about before we leave. So the first one, what is one piece of advice you would give your younger self? (laughs) It would change based on how old I am. Um, (laughs) Funny because it's a question that I've asked, that I've answered so many times. Um, But again, it's it's from my awareness today. It's not from my awareness a year ago, six months ago. Um, so it's one of my quotes, actually, um, action precedes confidence. It's through taking action that I've been able to love myself the way that I can love myself, that I've been, I, I've been able to hold myself the way I hold myself. And you know, we were talking about confidence before mm-hmm. that comes through me taking action and putting myself in, putting myself in situations where I didn't realize I was capable or as capable as I was until I witnessed myself in those situations. And I think that if I was given that piece of advice earlier, I probably just would have taken a little bit more action earlier rather than waiting for it to feel too big and feel overwhelming and then be like, I can't handle this anymore. I have to do something. Yeah. Um, and really we're wasting our life the longer we take to make those hard decisions. And that's why I'm I'm all about if something doesn't feel good, like how can I just nip it in the butt as soon, as soon as possible? Because the longer I leave it, I'm investing time, energy, resources in in allowing that to get to me, allowing that to, to make me feel not great as opposed to just rip the bandaid off, deal with it, move on. Yeah, And so, yeah, for me, it's yeah. action precedes confidence. Ooh, yeah, so good. Take that on, everybody. Take that on. Uh, what is a book that's changed your life once you read it and why? Mm. Um, so my very, very first book in personal development, I think will be really great for your audience is, um, a leader without a title by Robin Sharma. It's a really, really, really easy book to read. I think it's the first book that I had read as an adult by my own accord that I actually enjoyed reading. (laughs) I didn't even think I liked reading until I read that book Mm -hmm. and it, 
it's, it's actually good. I should probably read it again. Um, it was just a reminder for me that I can, I can make an impact with who I am mm-hmm. and all I just need to be me. And it's not from a place of, I want to try and do this and I want to try and be this. It's, I'm just going to be me and I'm just going to honor me and I can make an impact with just being who I am. Yeah. And you're definitely doing that, which is beautiful. And that, and that's what you're teaching others to do as well, <laughs> which is so, yeah, beautiful. If you could invite one person to dinner, who would it be? I would say it's Brendan Rashad. Like I was saying that, you know, he's a person that got me on this journey and now he's huge. So just to like be able to speak to him and just share with him how much he's changed my life. Um, like I definitely see it happening one day, but I, I, I want to be able to express to him how much he's changed my life and the lives of the people that I've worked with. Yeah, and I'm sure there's people now that listen to you and you're that person for them. And same for me, like I've got people listening and I'm that person for them. We've all got people like Brendan, you know, in our lives and it all started somewhere and then it just like unravels from there. Beautiful. That's it. Thank you so much. Like what a great, insightful conversation. I really appreciate your time here today. You will find all Nina's details in the show notes. So please go and support her and go check her out. And if you're really being drawn to her, like I was, you know, just have a chat with her. See where it goes. Guys want the book. It's on Amazon. It's on Booktopia. You'll find it online. Perfect. Yes. All the information will be in the show notes. So I really, yeah, thanks for spending your like last hour with me. And yeah, I look forward to talking with you in the future. Yes. Thank you so much, Prue. And thank you for all of you listening who are committed to your growth. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to More Life, Less Drama. All the details of this podcast can be found in the show notes on my website. And if you want to take your growth to the next level, I invite you to become part of my membership program, Be Unshakable, where we take this information and dive headfirst into putting it into action. Go to www.head-coach.com.au for all the details. Until next week.